Welcome to Gainesville Fire Rescue's Leadership Podcast. I'm David Sutton. Today we will be talking to Lieutenant Mike Tringali. And if I had to pick a theme for today's show and the guest, it's servant leadership. Author and motivational speaker Simon Sinek says, being a leader is not about being in charge, but rather about being responsible for those in your charge. Further, their responsibility is in creating an environment in which great results are produced. Author John Maxwell, who's author of one of our books for the Leadership Academy, says that the heart of leadership is serving people. This is servant leadership, which is a guiding philosophy for our Leadership Academy. Our guest today exemplifies both of these aspects of leadership, both troop welfare and creating a great work environment. Lieutenant Tringali has been with Gainesville Fire Rescue for over 18 years. He's one of the B-Shift Hazmat Lieutenants. He has recently joined the department's peer support team and recently came up with a small tutorial for individuals that were interested in riding out of class as officers. He is known as being a great lieutenant to work for, as his crew members want to work on his crew and oftentimes don't want to leave. He's a protective of the department's culture and has a reputation in creating a fun and cohesive family environment. Welcome to Sharpen Your Axe. I'm Chief Sutton. Trent, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Dave. Something we're trying to roll out see as we move forward with the Leadership Academy. So it's, you know, the department hasn't really done this before. You're our second guest. You know, just in, in your own thoughts and words, what does leadership mean to you? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head um, with a few of those quotes. Kind of took the wind out of my sails, so I was going to say something profound, but it's already been said. But leadership to me, there's leadership and there's management, and both are needed in the lieutenant's position, especially in the fire service. Because there are certain goals that the department has set out for us, so we need to manage time, manage people to accomplish those goals. Leadership is more the inspiration in getting people to want to do those things. Leadership, there's several components to leadership itself. Um, I tend to think that you said I create a family environment, and I hope that's true. And I think that really when it hit home for me about leadership was when we had our daughter about seven years ago. I had a flashback to my dad and sacrificing and serving our family, you know, through growing up. And I grew up in a very loving home. And so my dad was a huge inspiration when I became a father of how I want our family to be. And I try to create that same environment in the fire station because it's not that you think that the people you work with are your children, but their family. And you want to provide that environment. And part of that environment is sacrificing yourself. And the guy who actually married my wife and I told me that I should be as Christ was to the church as I should be in my family. And at first I thought, okay, that means I'm in charge, right? I should be the boss and tell people how to do it. But as it turns out, it means sacrifice, sacrificing your own needs for the betterment of your family. And so hopefully that philosophy bleeds over. And I hope it does because the the people I work with, uh, I, I work among giants. So I feel like when I get to come to work every third day and work with these people, I hope that they see that I serve them as best as possible. Chief Hillhouse, who's definitely one of the mentors for me in the department, often taught that the purpose of leadership was mission accomplishment and troop welfare. 
which is, I suspect, something he gets from the Marine Corps. Speaking of troop welfare, you have a reputation for creating this environment that people want to be in. You know, I think that you do that in collaboration with Lieutenant Prince, right? Oh, yeah. The two of you are sort of a well-known combination on B-Shift Station 2. What is your approach for doing that, and what are some specific things for someone that if they were to get promoted tomorrow or to start writing out, they could write down and take notes and say, this is what I'm going to do to create this environment that people want to work for me or enjoy their work environment? I think, number one, you probably want to start with an inward focus on figuring out your strengths and your weaknesses and figuring out, honestly, like you can lie. I can lie to you. I can lie to Alexis, who's over there. She was making noise earlier. But who you can't lie to is yourself, number one. You've got to be honest with the way you feel and know your own self be true, right? So you've got to know the things that make you tick, the things that get you aggravated, um, and those things like myself, um, you know, some of my strengths, or I'm a people person. I love people, um, and that's why I decided eventually I needed to become a lieutenant. And that's the reason why I'm doing peer support is because of my love for people. I think when I look at some of my weaknesses, and I'm not going to divulge all of those, but some of them are I'm a gut reaction guy. And you've seen it. You've seen me get hot. Like eventually my first reaction is pretty potent, and then I have time to think about it. So I got to be aware of the fact that I'm always going to have that first gut reaction, but I need to slow that to let my mind catch up. And sometimes that takes quite a while. Um, So knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses is number one. Then you can start to focus outward on the people that have been in your charge. Then you get to know them and what makes them tick. And then you can build a culture. And that's what it's really about. That's what people want. That's what makes Station 2 so successful is we have a great culture. You mentioned uh, Lieutenant Prince. We're really good friends outside of work. We're hunting buddies. Um, we do a lot of things off duty together, but inside the station, it's like the yin and the yang. He gets all the good luck. I get all the bad luck, but it balances itself out. Right. So we're always in balance. Um, and I need him because he's, he's more cerebral than I am. He's definitely a lot smarter, which if that never, if he never hears it, that'd be awesome. But you know, I've got, I'm the heart guy and Chase is the mind guy. So it works out really well. And I'm very lucky that I work in a multi-company station. And if you're on your own and you're the lieutenant, then you are going to be the one that is charged with creating that culture. And you can look at it around our whole department is you look at station one on A shift, B shift, C shift. There's a culture there per each station because the lieutenants provide the flavor for that station. You go to station two on B shift, like you're going to get the trend and chase flavor like whether you want it or not it's going to be it's within our culture so you have a lot of influence and hopefully we're using it in the right way not just oh I'm wearing a white shirt so I'm the boss well you know I work for more people now than I did when I was a firefighter so that's how you can start creating a culture that people want to be in is one inward focus two outward focused on the employees and then once you build that culture and it's a good culture, you can you can accomplish anything. I mean, we really do have a family out of station too. So I'm really proud of that fact. Let's talk about, uh, for a second, the relationship between you and the other lieutenant, which is Chase Prince. I think sometimes you can get lucky 
and be in a multi-company station and find yourself with an officer that you're friends with, you get along with, you're on the same page naturally. You have similar personalities or interests. But for the most part, do you find that, do you guys do something specific to get on the same page? Do you have a meeting? I mean, if you have an officer that's being assigned to a multi-company station with another officer, what would you recommend to them? Like, hey, this is how to have a cohesive crew or crews with this other officer right open and honest communication and that's the hard thing you know several years ago i think we attempted a thing called uh where you can openly talk about courageous courageous conversations that's the one brilliant idea in theory spectacular just you have to leave your baggage at the door so that's in application it might not be the best idea but to have a open conversation and an honest one with the other lieutenant and then what hopefully you've built a rapport because we know well I say I know everybody I used to know everybody I think I know about 50 percent of the department now Um, but having that conversation and then coming up with plans together Chase and I have been working together for quite a while now to where we don't have these conversations on the regular as when we first got there. When I first got moved out to Station 2, um, there was a senior a lieutenant named A. Salisbury, another great people person. Him and I sat down a lot and talked. And then also it kind of works with your ongoing and offgoing shifts. It's really important to have a good relationship, at least an honest relationship, where you can openly mention things because people are afraid of conflict. And most conflict can be resolved by good, clear communication. So I think going into that with an approach of, you know, give and take, like, I don't need to do this because I'm the boss, I'm wearing the white shirt. I need. If you go into it understanding that other people have different ideas, I think you more communication is, is definitely easier that way. But it can be challenging among shifts, um, depending on what officers are there also. I think it's important to highlight that portion of give and take, right? I would say in my experience, as I've tried to grow in my roles, one thing I've had to work on is listening. And so whenever I think of the word communication, I really think it's not about giving someone your idea. It's as much, if not more than equal parts, about being able to receive their ideas and and their statements, especially in a situation where you have another lieutenant that may view it differently or have a different style or approach. You know, we talk a little bit about creating this uh, work environment that people want to be in, that people feel motivated. The other day when we interviewed uh, Chief Campbell, you know, something that we highlighted really was leadership is the determining factor for success. One thing that we notice sometimes big picture wise, you know, the calls seem to be going well, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have a stack on my desk of calls that don't go well. In fact, I don't, usually have any, but we do notice when people are not happy with their assignment, right? And usually, I I almost want to say more times than not, it's the leadership at that particular station, right? Uh, I mean, that's just, you've been here long enough to know that that's true. Oh, yeah. As an officer, as someone that's prioritizes creating a positive work environment, what is the mistake that you see others making that 
yields the opposite environment, the, the environment where people are taking vacation all the time because they're miserable there or they're trying to get out and do something else, right? Uh, what is the mistake that you see or that you think is likely being made in those situations? One of the things, if, if a leader has the inability to make a decision, and sometimes it's as simple as like, we're going to go do hydrants today. Oh, well, where do you want to do them? Oh, I don't know. Well, you'll have a firefighter. You might have a firefighter, and it's it's no harm. Oh, well, we should do this area. Okay. Well, if that's your regular MO of not being able to make a decision on simple things, eventually you can't get people to follow you because they don't want to follow you to a dead end. So you have these de facto leaders that pop up, and we see that a lot in multi-company stations where there isn't a good leadership role. And you'll have firefighter A popping up and a couple hours before firefighter B saying, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And then there's no clear direction. So what, what you do is you give people a good direction to follow and you give people a heads up. Here's what I expect from you, your expectations. Here's what I want out of you. And generally people will meet those expectations and exceed them. And then if they've lined up with your decisions that you're making and the department's decisions, like everything will flow. So there's not a, there's not going to be, oh, well, we need to do hydrants. Oh, well, my guys know if we go do hydrants all morning, I'm going to practice some recliner luge a little bit longer than is allowed past one o'clock, right? Because we're going to hit the brakes. We accomplished what we wanted to do today. And then later we're going to pick back up. We don't need to hit the gas pedal all the time. We can let off because our, our job is based on the fact that Right. Mm-hmm. Two minutes from now, I could get a call and then I could be in the bathroom. I could be cooking dinner and we never know. So it's important too in the fire service to remember that being at work, just being at work is stressful in itself. So I feel like there's always needed time for rebounding. And I, I almost look at it as like a rubber band to get the most out of a rubber band. And you want that thing to pop. You got to stretch it every once in a while. But if you keep it stretched the whole time, eventually it's just going to wear out and it's not going to go anywhere. But if you exercise it, let it relax a little bit, when it comes time to work, we work. I think that's the style that works for me, fits along with my personality. I like to burn the candle at both ends and then hit the brakes mm-hmm. and then burn it some more and hit the brakes. So, You know, you, you and I have known each other for a long time and, and joke around a lot. Uh, you know, we always have a good time when, when we're together, but... Do you notice that areas that are having trouble or officers that are having trouble, that they're struggling with maturity, uh, where they're having a hard time making that transition from being one of the guys to now also providing the direction, even if it's what they perceive to be an unpleasant direction? Um, have you noticed that at all? or And, and how do you balance that? Um, I've seen that a little bit here. And most of the time, the immaturity will correct itself over a given period of time. And I think, I think everybody needs to give some new lieutenants some leeway for that also because it's different going, and I, I skipped the driver position. Um, it wasn't my career goal to do that, but it's just how it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I went straight from the position of firefighter to lieutenant. And I was told that was one of the worries for me was that, you know, I was so used to being one of the guys. What if, what if I needed to get something done? And I guess for me, it naturally happened anyways. Um, 
I didn't feel like it was a big struggle. The big struggle for me was communicating now on scene, like, because I didn't really have to talk on the radio. And so for me, the hardest part was they want to update. I'd always give them working. Like, what do you want from me? Don't bother me. But now I, I, I understand that fact that communication is needed because if you're sitting on the outside in a fire SUV, you don't, you can't see what's going on. So to provide a picture, and I think, again, everything keeps circling back to communication. And it's it's more difficult, the interactions between your district chief and you, than it is a crew because you've worked with these people. But now you have somebody that you are now in direct line with. Like, okay, we have departmental goals. We have these goals. Your district chief probably has goals set out for you. Mm-hmm. Now you need to also take their advice into consideration and what they want from you and then how to disseminate that to the crew and that and that's that's probably more of the part that was harder for me um, to go through and the communication on the radio was very difficult for me too um, which is another big reason why when we we had talked about doing a class for like a uh, a bridged company officer like down and dirty here's some calls here's some information digest it like that's why I got really passionate about that. Um, there was a firefighter, Reggie Kinsey, and he had expressed interest. He was going to take the driver's test, and then his goal was to take the next lieutenant's test. And then I kind of had realized I, I had had – I spoke with another one of our drivers who is now a promoted lieutenant, and, and we had worked together, and I was like, wait a second, hold on. Reggie is where I was at, you know – when did we say Station 8 was made? June 2011? You said it was decades ago when you were in that position. <laughs> so, so several uh, crow's feet later, here I am, and I realized, oh, shoot, you know, the mentorship that I had from people like Gary Law at the moment when I had voiced interest in becoming an officer, like, he really took me under his wing. And, and I was like, okay, I need to do this for Reggie, except, like, Reggie's not the only guy in our department, we have a really young department now, so at least making something to where we could at least get everybody in, headed in the right direction, it's not the answer. Like, I've sat down with several people. In fact, there's a guy who was promoted off this last list, and we were talking about him earlier, and he asked me, hey, is there some time I can come hang out with you and we can do this little class you put on? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, when do you want to do it? He's like, what about tomorrow? And I was like, uh, we're both off tomorrow, I guess. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll just come by the house. We sat on my front porch drinking whiskey and going through this thing, right? Like, we sat there and we spoke a lot about what we do as officers. And he just sent me a text over Thanksgiving and he said, thank you for the mentorship. Now, you know, my pride wanted to go through the roof because I was like, hey, maybe I made a difference. But when you look at the caliber of people that we have, like you realize, okay, I'm just, I'm just more of a funnel for that for inspiring people, not the inspiration. So we created an alleyway for people to try to be successful in that position of starting to just ride out, starting to learn how to work that front seat. And eventually the idea is take command of a scene. That's basically where we're at, and we still have some tweaking to do for this next upcoming company officer class. Yeah.
you're not just providing leadership, but essentially receiving it. You have someone that is above you providing direction. What is it that you want aspiring district chiefs or newer district chiefs to know about? What is the kind of work environment that um, that you enjoy? What is the, the type of direction that you want to receive from a, a district chief? I look at the lieutenants I had in the past, and I was extremely lucky in the path that I took. Um, Walter Littles was a lieutenant for eons, and he retired probably 15 years ago or more now. Time flies, but he, he to me, created a culture out at Station 3 um, with Jason Powell and myself and Mike Cowart that we just wanted to come to work. Like, we had way too much fun. And he was really knowledgeable, and he had been here in the days when, like, that's all you did was fight fire. Mm-hmm. And he was he was here for 30 years, and I think he was 48 when he retired, so he got hired as a young man, retired as a young man. But uh, Walter Littles created this wonderful atmosphere to be in. And then, after that, after Alexis, she bumped me out of that station, and I went to go see Rusty Barrett when he first got promoted to lieutenant. Rusty Barrett is people all the way. He works hard, and he'll do everything if you let him. So the goal was to try not to let Rusty do anything, which was really impossible. Um, but he was just another one of those guys that he, he got it. He was, you know, he was the guy who made work fun. When you went on calls, he was there. He was an active leader on calls. He wasn't a sit-on-his-hands type of guy. He wasn't the guy, and I've sadly heard a lieutenant in our department say this, I can't wait to make lieutenant because that way I can sit back and relax. It ain't the time for relaxing, Jack. You know what I mean? Like I've worked harder in Hill House, and you have said multiple times to me that I look more stressed. And since, like, I'm way more less Mickey Mouse Tringali than I was when I was first hired. And that's because you worry about the people that are in your charge. Like, they have wives and kids and and families and other interests besides work that you have to keep them safe for. And that's a that's a huge weight. And I, I don't know that that's greatly appreciated until you put on that white shirt. And to me, that's the only thing that white shirt really does is hammer the home, the fact that, okay, this is for real. You can't afford to be wrong. Yeah, no, Hill House always, there were a couple times when I was a captain and I hadn't been a lieutenant yet. Um, that I would run into officers and then come back and tell the house like, man, that, that person that just got promoted or that person that's riding out looks really stressed. And Hill house's response would be, that's good. Cause that tells me that they get it. Like, and they, they care, they understand and are worried about the responsibility that they're taking on. Now, obviously if it was about outside of work stuff, that was something we, right. you know, that was different, but we definitely want people to have a, sl- a a very small amount of discomfort with the fact that they they're it when you're called you're it you're supposed to bring the answer not, right not the problem even though you have a district chief above you that's not the solution we can't show up and pull you out of a fire i mean we theoretically maybe could but that that's not likely going to lead to success right you have to be able to take care of your crew and so the people that understand that should be a little bit uncomfortable with that role. Yeah. And, especially and the, in the beginning. Especially in the beginning and especially, and here's another thing to make you stress out more, right? How much did we say of our department is less than five years? Like 50? At least 50%. At least 50%. Yeah. 
That's less why this than podcast five, exists. Less than five years. Yeah. So now not only are you in charge of like the well-being of your crew and for having the knowledge to make great decisions inside of dangerous scenes, now all of a sudden we've got, you might have a truck where the, the guy driving you may have two years and the guy in the back seat might have eight weeks of orientation. And so now you're charged with the fact that, okay, okay, it's time to cowboy up because you got to, you got to ride this thing all the way. <laughs> you, and, and I think that's, yeah, you can't lean on experienced people if there aren't any. Right. And so you are that experience. Yeah. And so we, we are in a state right now of our department could be in really big trouble if we can't seem to maintain, if we can't maintain people. Um, and that's what worries me now is when I leave, okay, I'm, I might not be the greatest we got, but, but at least I've been here 18 years, right? I had literally that experience. I was a lieutenant and I took overtime and I was on a truck company. The person driving was driving out of class, hoping to take the driving test with maybe three years on the job. And then the two firefighters in back were probationary firefighters. And this is on a truck. And I was on a truck that I'm not normally assigned to because it was overtime on a shift I'm not normally assigned to. Oh, naturally. That's how it works. um, And I remember thinking, I remember, you know, going on the first call thinking, this is it. Like it, these, these guys may not know anything. Luckily they were actually pretty good. They were all pretty good, really good people. We did go on a call that was truck company related. And I said, Hey, how many of y'all have been on this call, this type of call? None of them. And so I was like, okay, meet me at the door, meet me at the door and we'll huddle up and talk about how this call is going to go down. A couple months later, I was going to write the lieutenant's test. And historically there was more managing the scene on those tests. And I said, nope, uh, there will be skills and scene management because we can't afford to have officers that aren't really good at what they do at this point in time, the way our department. And I, and now that I look back, that probably maybe should be the philosophy that we've always had. Like you have to know how to turn on the hazmat monitoring equipment and use it. And what do the readings mean to you, right? You can't just rely on someone else to know because if, especially if you're not on a hazmat truck because they've had one year here. For gas and that radiation detector, that's you better know how to use that, and so we're going to test you on it. And uh, I had, there, there was a little bit of debate on that style, and uh, I would I wasn't going to budge. Uh, I mean, because Steel, who was overtraining, and Hillhouse, who previously was overtraining, were like, "Well, this is how we've previously done it." And I said, "Okay, well, we it's a new world out there. These we're really young, and the officers they need to have answers." Ultimately, they totally stood behind the test. And I think it, I think it worked to do that. We had the, an extrication section. We hadn't really had that before. You know, we had a, a search for a down firefighter where you know, your firefighter isn't searching. You're going to search this building and show us that you can do it. And then also manage the scene. How about that? You know, and then we actually had this component to the test, which was instead of a disciplinary section, you were going to create a training plan. Like what is your plan to train this person based on deficits identified in the rookie book? Uh, because when it comes to disciplinary action, you have time. Like if someone does something wrong and you, you have time to address that, you can reach out to your, um, you know, your district chief or a senior officer and say, Hey, how do I address this? How did you do it in the past? But, uh, we sort of felt like, Hey, every officer now has the burden to train these individuals and, and we need to know that you can at least make a plan. So I was really proud of that, but I definitely thought moving forward, I was like, wow, we, you know, we have a different department with different challenges, but there are also opportunities, right? The opportunity is we have, 
you know, 50% of the department that hopefully can do this leadership academy, listen to individuals like yourself and pick up good habits, right, versus bad habits. So I can listen to your story just now and, you know, we introduce you as this troop welfare environment guy. That's your leadership strength is providing this environment among among many or, you know, maybe that's your only one. Who knows? Um, but uh, I th- among that many might strengths, even be too that much might credit. Be it. Yeah. <laughs> that um, might be it. When I when you tell me about the officers that you had, I was like, no, you were groomed by environment guys. That's yeah, how you got here. For sure. You know? And I think your personality lends to it. But that was also the influence that they had on you was these were individuals that I mean, Rusty, right? Rusty is the the master Yoda of positive environments. Yeah, no doubt. Right. So I do think in a, in a sense, like it does matter that sort of emphasizes to me, it does matter what we teach our officers in terms of leadership because they're influencing everyone that comes in contact with them. Right. So they're, you're either giving people good habits because we can, you can read all the books in our leadership Academy and you can listen to this groundbreaking, super awesome podcast. Groundbreaking. Um, But at the end of the day, you're around those officers you know, 24 hours every three days. And those are the habits and the tips and tricks that you're picking up. So, you know, we, we need to make sure that those folks are up to the challenge of communicating, getting the job done and taking care of your people. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And I think one thing too, like as an aspiring officer or as officers that we have to keep, keep an eye on ourselves and make sure that we are trying to do the right things because of that influence. Like, yeah, you know, I was influenced by Walter Littles, by Rusty Barrett, by Gary Law. Those are three mountainous men. Like, those guys stand head and shoulders above people and because of who they were. And I felt that. And so they inspired me to become an officer. And everybody's leadership style is different. We don't need 100 Rusty Barretts. We need a David Sutton. We need an Alexis Dabrowski. We need a Mike Tringali sometimes. We need a Chase Prince. We need these people because everybody has a different style and we're all different. It's a very diverse workplace. Everybody has a different outlook on things. So if they were all me, we'd probably be all sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya, right? Like, well, we don't need us all that. We need some people who are different leaders than me because when it comes down to it, we need everybody working together. Like I look at people like Don Campbell, who's been a, a great influence on me as I grew into an officer. We worked in extrication one time and he told me, he's like, he's like, hey, it was a vehicle that had rolled over on its side. And, and I told everybody I wanted the roof off because the lady was rather large inside. And that was the only way I felt like we could provide her the support to get her out. And so somebody had made a mention, I think we can just take this one section off and then we can slide her out. And I was like, okay, well, that might work. And then as we were doing it, I was like, stop, no, we need to do this. We need to, we need to cut this whole roof to get this lady out. So DG pulled me aside afterwards and he said, hey, you knew what to do. Like, tell people to do it. And so I've definitely grown more in that side, but I definitely have to that's one of those things where I need to keep tabs on myself, making sure that like when I ask my daughter, I'm like, hey, do you want to go brush your teeth now? And she's like, no. No, that was a rhetorical statement. You brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, well, that's how sometimes I can be. I, I ask and I want to say please. But sometimes like on scene, I tell people, I'm like, look, I will be direct with you and I will move. One of my firefighters, Anthony Hutchinson, always laughs because as soon as I get off the truck, I have my tool with me and I'm ready to go. 
And if you're not, if you're not ready, I will leave you. Mm-hmm. And I do that on alarms on purpose because I want him to realize the urgency that we move with when we need to. And also it makes him get prepared rather than, okay, I want to get outside the truck. I need to adjust this. No, like we, we bail off the truck and we're ready to work. So little things along the way you'll learn, and maybe nothing from this podcast, but being direct with people on scene. And then the way DG approached me afterwards on that extrication was he pulled me aside. He didn't do it in front of people because challenging somebody in front of their peers can be very difficult. Well, I mean, I think that circles back to a little bit of a a sort of a question about the kind of leadership that you like to receive in the sense that like there are mistakes that people make um, in situations that they encounter. And that's where I was sort of alluding to ultimately, like I don't have a big stack on my desk of calls that went poorly, but I can tell you a hundred instances of interpersonal issues. And that's something that I think it's hard in the fire service, you know, and, and even Don Campbell, when he was here, um, it's a lot about know your job, be a student of your field. You know, if you're hazmat, dive in deep, get into that, know everything you can about it, because if you're going to lead, you're the one that's supposed to have the answers. But the flip side of that is that you're in a station full of people for 24 hours and, and things arise and you're in a department full of people and things arise. And so there is a, there is a, like how to manage relationships component to it. That is really important. You know, for the citizens, we luckily can always for the most part, drop any issue that, that we have in the workplace and go provide a high level of service. But particularly for me from a management standpoint, as I move up in the department, like we don't, like it's not good to have interpersonal issues. And one of the focuses of our officer training is how to deal with those issues or provide an environment. One thing that's always stuck out to me, and I think it'd make you laugh a little bit, is I was going to teach my first company officer course. And uh, I was a captain and had not been a lieutenant, but there wasn't anyone else. They were like, no, you're doing it next week. you know. And I was like, oh boy. I went around to a lot of lieutenants and I was like, what is this one experience you had that you just really want to share? And I meant, tell me about these calls. You know, Tell me about these calls where you had these tough experiences. You know, Like, what did you learn from them? And... Every single person, even the hard-hitting, like, doers, like, fire college instructors, all that, the stories they told me were about, like, sticky interpersonal situations in the station. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, that's great. What I was, I was curious about, like, a complicated extrication. I was curious about this house fire. And the sense I got was, no, those calls go well. Like, we're doing our job on those calls. We have well-trained people. What we needed to train people on was how to manage others. And, and I don't mean management. I really meant, like, leadership how to provide a good environment and how to deal with issues right um and and you know where uh, a you've lot been of that faced with some of those i've get i get some stories from you this guy wants to be in this room and this other guy wants this room and yeah you know, uh you know <laughs> yeah, you could, <laughs> it's always something right because we're we're with each other for 24 how hours you, how you lead in those situations matters right right and and people and i think you you alluded to it earlier about listening yeah when you communicate and i and I can't be, that can't be stressed enough is listening, not just waiting to pause to get your point across, but actually listening to somebody. What do, what are they trying to tell you? Is it just a room? Is it just, you know, 
well, he said this, um, and and some people they want to be heard, and and then they want to know that that you fight with them, and sometimes as an officer you have to you have to fight with your people, not against them, but with them on something that they care about, even though you know it's a losing battle. For instance, um, there was a guy here, um, Clary, and he was one of my firefighters, and he was on squad one and squad three every shift. And he was tired of it. He wanted to come home. He want, he was interested in hazmat. He wanted to be, you know, work at station two, get that training. And he wanted to be on a fire truck, right? Whether it's the engine or the tower. And, and so he asked me, he said, hey, can you talk to your boss? I said, sure. And, and it was Chief Campbell. And I said, hey, I was like, what can we do here? What can we do to get Clary out of this rotation? Uh, that's all this guy does. And and he would tell me, he's like, look, I, I'm trying. It's just our department's so young, and he's a medic, and he, was and he can drive he was out of class. Medic. He was really good. And he was those guy, one of those guys who's, who's, the, who's like, you want to build the mold. Like other firefighters build him off this guy's mold because he can do everything, and he's good at everything he touches he was good at. And it just so happened, well, if you're good at everything, you're going to do those things. And one of the things where he was needed was to drive out of class and to be that medic. And I knew every few months that this was going to be a a thing with him. And I couldn't just say, well, I know what DG's going to say. Like, well, no, I have to take that fight up because I work for him. So if if I want to gain his trust then I need to listen to him and fight the good fight with him because that's my job. And sometimes as a lieutenant, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to have a discussion with your chief that you know isn't going to go as well as you think because your firefighter has a need. And that's the point where that's how you gain the trust. And we do that over and over again. And it's usually on small things or and discipline somewhat, like discipline, Chief Prince, our, one of our old fire chiefs used to say that that's the last resort, right? So we've tried coaching, we've tried counseling, we've sat down with this person. And then now discipline is the, is the hopefully the slap on your cheek that makes you wake up. It's not meant to degrade you. It's meant to say, hey, wake up. You're, we're correcting your action, not, not you. It's your behavior that we want to change. So change your behavior because it leads down the, the set of streets. But there's fights you're going to have to take up yeah. with your people, knowing that you're going to lose, because that builds trust and that builds a bond. And that, that's how you become an effective leader also, is that trust you have within your crew. Um, a guy named Eric Williams, one of my firefighters, he, we had a hazmat incident. They told me, oh, we're moving you back to Station 2. You haven't, you've been riding out and you got promoted. You were gone for a year and a half from hazmat. We're going to break you in slowly. You're going to not ride the tower for a year. Um, you're going to be on Engine 2 doing all the training. I said, okay, sure. Well, then the lieutenant was gone who was assigned to the tower, and it was either hire overtime or slide me over there. So, of course, in true fashion, they slid me over there, and we had a hazmat call, and it was in a – it was in a lab, and some dude blew his fingers off with some something, and then they were like, okay, we got to do this. Well, there was, there was three district chiefs or three chiefs that showed up on scene that each gave me two orders. And so that made a total of six 
And each time I was getting dressed in a suit that required pretty extensive taping and everything. And so I had to step away each time. And I did not manage that scene well because I let them dictate what I was doing when I, I should have known later. And now I have the awareness of it that, no, this is what I need from you. You will do these things for me. And it's not, it's not being like, oh, that was cool, man. He really showed them disrespect. It's, it's a necessary process. Like they work for us. I work for our firefighters and drivers and whoever the hell calls 911. And my district chiefs work for me, and it just trickles on down. So the fire chief now then works for all the deputy chiefs, the administrative chiefs, the training chiefs, the district chiefs, oh, on down to lieutenants. So as a fire chief now, you have lots of bosses where I only have a handful. Um, but, that, but that leadership that you can provide from all the way from – like on scene managing a situation and your and the district chiefs and what you need and then all of a sudden you can now provide the proper tools to for your mission accomplishment so we had an incident review about this whole thing i got i got sidetracked a bunch we were doing an incident review and, and everybody said any anything have anybody have anything to say that we need work on i said yes i was like i, I had i was given six orders i need to work on my management I wasn't very good. I was good at all the technical things we did and missions got accomplished, but I wasn't good at managing. And they're like, and I was told by one of the chiefs, so if you get better, we all get better. It was one of my favorite quotes I've heard. And, and I looked at him and, and Eric Williams stood up and he said, hey, y'all asked if you could do anything better. And the man gave you what he, his honest opinion of what he needed, but you didn't help him at all. And Eric Williams, if you know him, is very quiet. And he stood up, and it sounded like thunder because he stood up for me in a situation where I was like, I, I admitted where I was wrong on that scene. And the, there were a couple of chiefs who were involved who didn't want to take any of the criticism like of, hey, maybe we shouldn't have done that. It was, well, I just gave you two orders, so you should have been able to handle that. And, and so that kind of bond, that trust, has carried like with us and I've been working with Eric Williams now for about a, almost a decade. And and that's the kind of that's the kind of atmosphere we have like and it's harder now because we have so many transient people like we hire new people at an alarming rate. Um, so if you're at a single company station more than likely you're seeing a new guy and you're having a new firefighter and your firefighters traveling so building that culture is a little challenging but it starts with you. Um, and then building a, a, a bond and tr of trust between you and your crew and, and fighting the good fight with each other is where, what it really boils down to. So that's what, and a, I think you had asked me this question a while ago. What do you want out of your management? I want somebody who will give me the room to make decisions and I want to have constructive criticism afterwards. Oh, in, as it's necessary and appropriate. Um, and, and I want the freedom to create the environment that we have. So you tell me what the mission is, I'll get it done in my way. I feel like Chief Campbell in our first podcast 
alluded to that and he called it decentralized command a little bit which is you have to you have to prepare your people but then trust them like to get the job done um, versus micromanaging them i want to talk just a hair about peer support and the reason i want to talk about that is because the other day you and i did some of it on a tough call right and i don't know if you get district chief shift reports but we're sort of uh i would describe our department if i was to do another lieutenant's test the theme of it would be big city problems because our city's growing and there's more serious calls than there were 20 years ago. Agreed. Um, I mean, even when I started, it was rare that you would get a shooting. It was rare that you'd get a stabbing. That's not rare anymore. The crews out there are running those calls. What do you want leaders and officers to know about what to do with their crews in that situation? Because the, Because we still see a little bit of sort of the officer saying hey we're good right yeah we're all good right and yeah um, they might not be if they're if they're as young as we are with the intensity of calls that we're running because um, the calls are getting a little bit more intense we run a ton of vehicle extrications and we're right by the highway and then we're the the stabbing and shootings have gone up you know which is just a little bit more of a emotional tug than you know the average chest pain right so and then on top of that, you have call load, which is also a burnout factor. Right. So, right. We're getting hit from all angles, which I, I think really, really shows us again, like why leadership is important, right? Because there has been a, a huge push in the last like three or four hiring groups where our orientation has exploded because of the need that we are such a young department that we saw this need that, okay, now we're going to train people in orientation. When I went through orientation, it was three weeks, and literally half the time it was different chiefs coming in, introducing themselves, asking us to go around the room. And then we sat in a classroom banging our heads up against the wall. Like, And I think that was the test then. Let's see how much torture you can take sitting at a desk. Well, now we torture people out on the battlegrounds, right? We're, we're doing all the things that we actually do and we're preparing them physically, right? We have more people training in gear than I have ever seen. You didn't see a lot of those dudes like with big old bellies in gear training no, ever that, when we first got hired. Yeah. That is a huge change. Okay, so now let's take it a step further. We, we prepare physically. Let's prepare mentally. So our, mind, our bodies are ready. But our minds are still like everything's 90% mental, right? That's all you ever hear. Everything, you've got to make it so in your head first. Well, okay, well, if the head's not right, how can the body follow? So let's take care of the person and the mind. And to do that, you can't just say we're all okay. Like You, you need to allow, and again, that goes back to the culture. I hope I've created a culture at my station where I can be talked to as an officer. And yes, like there is some trouble with me communicating with our really young firefighters because I'm not immersed in social media. I'm an analog dude stuck in a digital world these days, right? So like we communicating. Just You're just old. Just old. That's all that really means. Okay. I didn't want to say it. Analog is the politically correct way to say old, Dave. I mean, there actually, there are people your age that are tech savvy, so I don't know. I guess I can't explain <laughs> Yeah, <it>. yeah. <laughs> So, so now like communicating, like, how do I, how do I reach 
the young person. And that's my biggest fear now, but to make sure that people realize that they can say something and not be afraid to say it, especially when it comes to their own mental health. I think we've come a long way in the fire service. 10 years ago, if you said, hey, that call messed me up, like one of the district chiefs would be like, rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. Like now you're like, okay, what happened? And that's, we have, we're actually taking this seriously. The world we live in is stressful, is more stressful. The climate, like outside is a scary place, right? So let's prepare each other mentally and then take care of it when it happens. It's just like an injury. So if somebody gets hurt on a scene, we do the appropriate medical attention. But with the brain, it's hard because you don't see that. It doesn't manifest in the same way an injury does, but we still need to be cognizant that this person is hurting. We're not talking like it's going to be okay. We're not here, hug a teddy bear. Mental health is a real thing that faces the fire service that is now getting the attention it needs. PTSD, like 9-11 really brought that forward. We work right. with guys. I don't know that we're alive. Maybe in 2001, right? Like, we're approaching a time when potentially we'll have hired people that don't remember that at all. Right. And are starting to be born past that. Right. I mean, that was 19 years ago. So there is a chance if we hire a 20 year old and right, you know, in a couple of years, it wasn't, doesn't remember that at all. When that was a, that was a, I don't know if milestone is the correct word, but that is one of the defining moments of my life. You know, oh, right? for, for sure. In my generation. And you can certainly. remember where you were and yeah. what you were doing when it happened. And so, so now I think that, that brought PTSD. I think that brought the awareness. And really in the past 10 years, I would say, there's been some strides. I mean, now we have, we have a su- peer support program. That was not a thing. There are people we can go talk to. There are numbers we have that, that people that we can talk to. And these are important things to have because when you go home, like, I only tell my wife the dumb, funny things that happen at work. Like, I don't tell her that the horrible stuff we sometimes see. I mean, that's no fun. Nobody wants to hear about that. But a lot of times what happens is in a station, you can get through it with your crew. And then now with peer support to letting somebody know that there's an outlet. Um, there was just a horrible call a few days ago. And we just kind of hung out. Yeah for a little bit and then all of a sudden they started spilling beans right of what was going on and then you truly realized this wasn't just like somebody got stabbed it was a lot worse and so you can't help but reflect on your family when you hear about these things and see these things so mental being there for your employees and not just saying we're all okay like the trust that when you ask does anybody need anything like you truly mean it. It's not some words you're just you're just spewing. And again, that goes back to trust and a culture. Right. And I think it's important, you know, if you if you talk about troop welfare, if you talk about providing environments for your folks to succeed, that people have to acknowledge as officers that um, the cup fills up, you know, whether it's stress at home or stress on calls. And I, I think a big thing and it might have to do with listening is recognizing that just because it's not full for yourself doesn't mean your crew member isn't at the brim or it's not going to spill over. And uh, and I don't know if that analogy really works, but I do think 
you know, you can only take so much, you know, and it, and that manifests. I got to the point probably five years ago, and I don't know if it was just work stress or calls or because the call, some of the calls are disappointing. They're not necessarily hard to deal with, but you'll go on calls, right, where people are in really bad living conditions. And it's just disappointing to see that. You know? Right. And then maybe to not be able to resolve that. CRP was born out of just my frustration with seeing that over and over again. <laughs> right. I was just like, I, I got to do something for this. I'm you know, going to tell Hill House we need to come up with a whole program. And then it, that runaway train is gone. Right. I mean, that's a whole nother beast now. But um, I got to the point where if something is like an Oscar award winning drama, I can't watch it. I just I'm not doing it. Like I just like I, if it's not slapstick or, you know, action, if it's if it's meant to like produce a tear, I won't watch it. Because it's just like I don't. I already have a lot of disappointing things. All right, so no Disney movies no, for Disney, David Sutton. No Disney movies. Fast forward through I the beginnings when it all too much. I can't. I can't. <laughs> That's Daddy it. Cannot handle Frozen. Yeah, you got a millionth time. Yeah, when all the moms and dads die in the beginning of the Disney show, you got to fast forward the first ten minutes, and then <laughs> yeah. you're all right. <laughs> then everybody's I, happy. I should, I should work that angle more at the house. <laughs> like I cannot watch mulan again it just affects me um i'll tell my wife you got to watch it um actually that's the one part of parenting i really come through on it's like oh watch a movie yeah no, i'm there i'm there <laughs> i'm your guy <laughs> i'm your guy <laughs> um but no i you know just i noticed that years after i just realized like w whether it was my wife or and i think it probably i think by then i was married but I went from watching every movie ever made because I was a movie guy to to just constantly saying no to movies that it, for some reason. And then years later, I picked up like, why? I used to love watching. I used to watch everything. And I was like, I think I just don't want to deal with it. Like, I don't want drama, even that it, even though it's fake. You know, so I, I definitely recognize that the cup fills up. For me, it was just like, OK, I, I just have triaged certain things I'll deal with and certain things I won't. But other people may not have that capacity. Um, I think that pretty much, you know, wraps up some of the questions that I had for you. Maybe the last thing, uh, because at the end of the day, this is this podcast is about leadership and hoping and giving people a path to grow in leadership, giving them the tools. They may want to be good leaders and they may hear inspiring people, but just don't know how to get there. If you could ask them to do one thing, take one course, read a certain book or whatever it is, if someone says, hey, Trent, I want to be a good leader and they get a pen and paper on, they're going to write down what you say. What is it? What is that one, one, at least one thing that you want them to do? What do you want them to work on? Okay. Uh, I would first make a list of pros and cons, things you're good and bad at, like personally. Like it doesn't mean like, okay, I'm not good at like uh, extrication. Well, okay, well, you can work on that. That's easy. But the hard stuff is what are you good and bad at internally? Um, figure out those things and start to shore up your weaknesses from that end. But you have to be really honest with yourself, like really take a minute and figure out who you are. And then you, that's a great place to start your strengths and your weaknesses, write those down, just like a SWOT analysis, right? You can write them down. You can just make mental notes. I wrote them down um, once upon a time. And now I just, maybe I'm too old in quotation marks, according to Dave, I, I am who I am at this point, but I'm still trying to get better. And I know what my habits are. So I'm always trying to avoid those pitfalls. And then there are a couple of really good books um, by Tony Dungy, if you're interested in reading. One is called Uncommon, 
And I want to say the other is like the mentor leader. We'll have to double check those titles. Um, but Tony Dungy is a great human being. Um, and he, he talks a lot about leadership and it does have a Christian spin on it. So you will get some of that if, if you read through his books, but he was a well-respected coach, you know, at all levels. And, uh, he does a really good job at breaking some of this stuff down and then work on serving and being happy to serve. Like Chase, I think calls me the other Lieutenant in our, in my station calls me grandma sometimes because I like being in the kitchen, cooking breakfasts and dinners. And on Saturdays and Sundays, it's legendary at station two. Like if you go hungry, it's your own fault. Like we do it up. I always like to invite people to those meals and because you're talking about probably my favorite part of the fire service. Is oh, weekend breakfast. I actually, Oh, one, breakfast. One year, one year we were, we had the rookie crude Academy. Um, and I was, and what they were doing like pushups to a cadence and I, and the cadence was like weekend breakfast. Cause I was just like, that's how much I love it. Like, you're going to memorize. I, I'm going to teach this part of culture will not die if I have anything to say about it. But part of it was, I mean, I can, I can go anywhere and get breakfast, right? Is there's these moments of fellowship in the fire station oh, around, yeah. the di- around the dinner table that if you are an aspiring leader, that is a freebie, right? That is the cliff notes answer to a test on how to create bonding moments. Oh, if you, oh, don't, if you don't buy into that, you would better replace it with something else in, in terms of just providing a positive work environment. There are times where I go to a station and they're like, Oh, we all do our own thing for meals. And I'm like, Oh, how disappointing is that? That concerns me. Not because I'm not, that's not because my, I'm talking through my stomach. I think that's probably 50% of it. But the other half is where, how are you replacing that fellowship then? Right. Where, where's the bonding, the dinner table bonding coming from? If everyone's on their own, like you had better all heated up and sit down together at minimum, um, or have some other mechanism for providing that environment, right? Right. Um, because that one is a giveaway for providing a per, uh, positive work environment. So no, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. No, that and and that's a big reason. Like when Chase gives me a hard time about being grandma, it's because I'm in the kitchen cooking on the weekends, and it's because I cherish those moments around the dinner table with I, those dudes. Because where else do you sit down? And in my station, it's seven dudes sitting at a table talking about whatever and nothing is off limits nothing i uh <laughs> and those moments are are great it's funny that he calls you grandma because i when i'm talking to your crews i call you uncle trin and and i usually say that like when i'm if they do something where i'm like i'm gonna tell uncle trin about that like, <laughs> i'll tell your uncle trin about that and uh i was dealing with one of your rookies one day and he messed up i want to say maybe it was in paramedic school and i'm not sure i was teaching in paramedic school I don't remember where it was, but they messed up. They made a mistake on something. And I said, I'm going to tell Uncle Trent about that. I'm going to have him talk to you. And he looked at me and goes, I'm going to tell Uncle Trent about you. <laughs> and that's and that's, and that's I was like, yeah, that's that's because you defend those crews. But I was like, yeah, no, I know he defends you guys. <laughs> and I'm sure Chief Campbell probably has some headaches. He's taking some Advil with your name on it, I'm sure. He He's told me one time he doesn't like it when I yell at him. Oh, yeah. Defending the crews. Um, all right. Any any final remarks? Anything you want to leave? Okay. So if you have fast forward through this whole thing because I was rambling and you're just like I've had enough of Tringali, um, please, if you are 
if you want to become an officer in our department, please serve people, fight for people, build a build a great atmosphere to work in because this job is difficult anyways. So why not have fun doing it? Um, and make sure we look after one another. I t- like Tom Hand was another person who's a, a firefighter in our department. He was a huge influence on me. Um, especially he grabbed, when I met him, it was fresh out of school and I didn't have my parents around and he was the first dude I met that made it cool to tell another person that he loved them. Like another male that wasn't in my direct family. And at first I was like, who is this? Mikey, I love you, buddy. And I was like, yeah, all right. Yeah, back at you. And like, I was sort of uncomfortable with it at first, but like, no, he, he really does. And so, and I really do love him and I love the people I work with. And he made it okay for me to tell people, Hey, I love you. So I blame Tom hand a lot too. Um, blame. <laughs> he's a gr- he was a huge influence on me, especially early on. Um, even before we got into the fire service itself. So, um, love each other, take care of each other. Um, that's, that's in a nutshell, what it really boils down to. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for coming and sharing some thoughts with us. Thanks for listening to the Sharpen Your Axe podcast. We're here to share insights from the field, lessons learned, and examples of leadership excellence. Dedicated to developing stronger fire department leadership to better serve the community. Make sure you subscribe and share with anyone who might benefit from listening. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, contact us at gfrpodcast at cityofgainesville.org.